Father, thank you so much for uh, this morning that we can come together as men and discuss things uh, that are going on in our world and, and see what your word has to say about it. We, we are so thankful that your word addresses everything that is going on in our world. And, and uh, we do pray that uh, as we go through the, the, the group discussions from last time this morning, that you would use this to strengthen all of us, uh, that as we share what's going on in each other's, what was going on in each other's groups and bring that to light uh, this morning that you'd strengthen us with the truth and you'd strengthen us for the days that we live in, that we would be wise Christian men and that we would use, um, we take seriously our role as men to influence and teach and uh, lead. And I pray that um, you'd make us wise, bold, courageous Christian leaders uh, in our homes, in our marriages, and then broader than that as well. Please bless us with, uh, the truth today, strengthen us and stabilize us that we would be men of the word uh, for the glory of your name. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. My uh, <clears throat> opening illustration last time was about the social tension in middle and high middle schools and high schools due to the rising popularity of furries, which as I, I just have to be honest, I'm a little bit embarrassed uh, to even have mentioned furries in such a manly group as this. I'm sorry. I apologize for that. Uh, but I did think it was necessary just to bring up yet another uh, prong in a multi-pronged attack against God, against God's word, against God's created order. And all of that results in an attack against humanity itself. And I think we're all aware of that. Um, we see also in our culture in this time, we see a widespread revolt against human exceptionalism, the idea that God made mankind special among his creatures, that man is not just another animal. It's, uh, we see a widespread revolt against humanity created as male and female, uh, against man's rightful dominion over the earth, against the institution of marriage itself. In fact, if you're watching the news, you saw that last week a dozen Republicans joined the Democrats in passing the Respect for Marriage Act through the Senate. Uh, that's or an Orwellian name, by the way. It's not Respect for Marriage uh, in God's Word. Bill H.R. 8404 is about the obliteration of marriage. It's about redefining marriage and obliterating marriage altogether. Um, and that has been the leftist agenda since Rousseau. I mean, it goes way back, centuries back, to try to destroy every, every Christian institution and biblical institution, including marriage. So we know from Luke 17, we're, we're assured that marriage and being given in marriage will continue until Christ returns. Um, so we are not, uh, we don't see that there's a, a true threat against the institution itself. Um, it can be destroyed just as gravity can't be destroyed. Uh, just as there, though, is a penalty for defying gravity, so also there is a penalty for attacking and perverting this fundamental social institution called marriage. So it's not going to go away, but we do see that there is a consequence to pay, uh, a price to pay for attacking an institution uh, like marriage, because it is the most fundamental building block of society. We've talked about that 
uh, time and time again. And we're, we're having to minister to and speak to people who have total confusion about the institution of marriage, male, female, what it is to be human, and that's why we're having this conversation. So as Christians and as Christian men in particular, it's our duty, it's our privilege, it's our joy to push back against the perversion and swim against the current and stand against this cultural tide. And so to do that and equip ourselves to do that, we're, we are reasserting the privilege of what it means to be human. We want to influence others too. In fact, that's why you're here, because we want you, and you want to influence your family in, in your marriage, your family, your kids, uh, and beyond that circle, that sphere of influence, we want you to influence other people. So in that, uh, uh, to pursue that, we... Uh, broke up into four groups last time and discussed the privilege of being human. Um, and uh, those groups were under Gary Ode, Brett Hastings, Bill Wilcutts, and Mark Alexander. And so today we want to hear the results of your discussions. Uh, I realize you're probably sitting all over in other places and there's no need to get in those groups again. But we do need to hear um, the results of your discussions. So for... Um, so Gary Ode, Brett Hastings, Bill Wilcutts. Bill's sick today, so I think Wayne, are you presenting for that group? Okay, so who's presenting for Gary Ode's group? Okay, Joe. Uh, what about Brett's group? Brett, Will, okay, and for Bill's it'll be Wayne, Mark Alexander. All right, um, so what I'm gonna do is we'll go, we'll go walk through the order of those groups, and, I'll, and Mark and Adam, you guys are the last group, so you got time to put your heads together if you want to out in the hall. Um, but uh, what I'll do is I'll start by reading the passage of Scripture that your group discussed. I'm going to ask you, each of you had three questions to, to kind of discuss in your group, so I'll ask you those, those first three questions. And we'll open up for wider comment, and then we'll move on after we've heard the comment. We'll, we'll um, and let others speak into the questions. Then we'll hear the lists of privileges that you found in being human. We want to record these. I've got space in my notes to record them. And uh, would like some help with that if there's some, uh, someone who can jot down notes and help me with that. And then we'll compile this and then send it to you by email to make sure you've got uh, some ammunition for your guns as you get into the holidays and be able to discuss some of these things with your family, friends, and whoever you're spending holidays with. Okay? So Gary Ode, his passage, his group's passage was in Psalm 8. So turn to Psalm 8. I'm going to start by... We want to make sure and get the Word of God before us uh, in each of these and hear what the Word of God says. So Psalm 8, a Psalm of David. <clears throat> David says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you've established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with, glor crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands and you've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, 
How majestic is your name in all the earth. Excuse me. So that's the passage that they were to discuss. And here's the first question. And then we'll, we'll hear your answers. Uh, the opening and closing verses of that psalm, uh, they, they're, they bookend David's meditation on the privilege of being human. So what is the connection between the role of mankind and the name of God? What's so significant about God's name? Why is it important to this discussion? Okay, so we thought of the repetition of our, O Lord, our Lord, that that pointed to the kingship, the authority of God. He gets to set the standard, and and with his introduction last time, just thinking about, you know, the silly thing of furries, but, I mean, there's a million other things now. There's transgender, homosexual, and then there's the 289 other genders that all have their own flags and um, their own ways of holding their fists up to God and saying, I'm going to do it my own way. I'm going to be my own king. So that, O Lord, our Lord, points to his kingship over us. Um, Another part of that, we've thought about his name. God's name, Yahweh, represents his attributes. He is. um, He is the I Am. And since he is, then he is all of his attributes, which is omniscience, omnipotence, omnipresence. He's all wise. And in his creation, through his creation, um, this is reflected. And for us believers, for those who have faith, uh, we see that and, and we are able to glorify God, his name in the, in the creation that we see around us. Cool. Yeah, it's a great, great answer. Thank you. So um, then the, uh, the next question stay up here, is uh, David ends verses 1 to 4. He ends it with a question. There's actually two questions there, but they're, it's Hebrew parallelism, so they're asking the same thing. So provide an answer to David's question, why does God regard mankind? So we went back to, I mean, in Genesis 1, Genesis 1, 26 and 27, God created us in his image. Um, and that is the foundation for our dignity. That is the foundation for our um, where we are, where we have our value, why God does regard us. Um, another one is that God, we are part of God's plan before the foundation of the world, before he created anything. Uh, we were part of his redemption plan, and that plan was to glorify himself, so we're part of it, but uh, it's ultimately to glorify God, so God is glorified in justifying us and being the justifier of those who believe in Jesus Christ. Um, And also that when we meditate on his creation, um, we should be in awe of him. So we we are, uh, God has given us the ability to just be in awe of him. Yeah, well, David used that term majestic. How majestic is your name? And that, that's the awe aspect coming down to Psalm 8. Thank you. Hey, let me, let me actually do this. I was going to save the, your, your interaction with these questions till the end, but I think we may lose the, the question if we do that. So let's go back to that first question, uh, the, the connection between the role of mankind and the name of God. What's so significant about God's name? You were saying that it has to do with his kingship, his sovereignty, his authority. Uh, any, any comments from you um, any, to add to that discussion? Why do you think that, what's so significant about God's name? Because it, David starts and ends with, O Lord, O Yahweh, our Adonai, how majestic is your name in all the earth? 
What do you guys think? Yeah, James. I like to think of the third commandment. It should be translated, thou shalt not carry the Lord's name in vain. It's very serious to even invoke the name of God. That's why we shouldn't use him in any kind of jocular comments, behavior. It should be treated with the utmost reverence. It also goes in that third commandment of how we live our lives. You, know, you say you're a Christian, you act contrary to that. Um, you're bringing others to blaspheme his name. So we should look at that aspect and everything in our lives as far as carrying his name everywhere we go. His name is important, it's holy, it's set apart from everything else in the entire universe. And so how does that, how do we, you know, how does that connect with us being human? And why is it a privilege to be human in that aspect of bearing his name? Let's say, definitely because I'm to answer it right away, just top of my head would be because we bear his image. Yeah. We're gifted at all of creation to bear his image. I think that's why Satan hates us the most. Sure. He can't get it to God, so he attacks humanity. Yeah. Yeah, great comment. Thank you. Any, anybody else want to? Chime in on that one. Yes, John. Uh, the, the idea is everything centers around God. If God is not the center, yeah. there's no peace, there's no happiness, there's no nothing. Man is not the center of the universe. Yeah. God is. Yeah, even though, even though man is the highest cre- in the creator order, his purpose is all centered in bringing glory and honor to God. Yeah, thank you. That's a great comment. And it's, it bears, that bears repeating, constant reflection and meditation that we know our place, and most, most importantly, we know God's place so that we don't lose sight of that. Yeah, Jesse. I think it shows um, uh, the relationship of, you know, why does he care for, for us? He, sh- he gave us his name. <coughs> and um, just the ability to communicate with, with God. It shows that special connection with, with God to us. Right. That he, we can use our intellect and our minds to name to call upon him in his name. Of all the soulish creatures, of all those uh, that are flesh and blood and partake of the, the, the material earth, we're the only ones that can understand the meaning of his name and you know, Yahweh, I, and I am that I am, and what that, you know, reflect on the meaning of that, and divine simplicity, and immutability, and eternality, and all this, you know, spiritual, that he is a spiritual being. Um, we're the only ones that can really reflect on that, and then live and act and exercise dominion out of that knowledge. So that's a, what a privilege of all the creatures on the earth. Yeah, Austin, one more. Um, you had mentioned a connection between the name Yahweh and all of his uh, attributes. And God's communicable attributes to mankind is a way that we see glory in his name because we partake in kind of who he is. He communicates who he is by way of his name and his attributes being connected to us in us being created in his image. Great comment. Yeah, that's, that's, that's uh, very spot on. Thank you. Okay, so the next, the next question then, just to interact with this, guys, is uh, David ending verses 1 to 4 with that question. And basically the question is, why does God regard mankind? Um, so you heard his answer. What, are, what do you guys think? Say, say, just say very quickly, say your answer again so they can. Uh, so let's go on. Uh, they were created in his image. We are created in God's image. That's why that's the foundation. Um, before the foundation of the world, God plans to save us. Um, and, and that is to his glory. 
um, and that we get to, we have awe in when we meditate on God's creation, the mountains, solar system, ants, anything. Yeah, good, good. Comments on that one? Why does God regard mankind of all the great things that are in the universe? And think about distance, think about expanse, and there's this little tiny speck in the universe called Earth. A little specks on it called men that look like ants. Um, from God's perspective, but why does he regard us? All right. Coffee hadn't set in yet. Yeah, all right, go ahead. Because <laughs> we're, we're made in his image. So that's been shared already that we're created in his image. And so that's, I think that's probably one of the important aspects of that because because we are made in his image, uh, he regards us. Uh, so there's a special relationship in how he has made us, how he's created us, and then how he relates to us. So he, we're, we're, we're special, so we, we communicate back to him, uh, which has already been brought up. We worship him, and then we, you know, we're sent on earth to have dominion over all things, which is a, another degree of, there, there's, there's nothing else like that in the universe. So we are very special, specially created with God's purpose and intent in mind for his glory. So thank you. Thank you for articulating that. That's, that's spot on. And if you think about it this way, you know, we've all seen these planetarium illustrations and seen bright stars in the universe and how amazing these huge stars are. And, but if there is a bright center of the universe in God's mind, if I could put it this way, it's earth. It's, it's us because the brightness is brought on by the glory of the image of God in humanity. This is the only place in the universe. There are no little green men. There are no, we're not going to find Martians. Uh, we're not going to find them out there in some far reach of the universe. We're not going to find some extraterrestrial being like us. We're the only ones. And so God has, God has put his image in mankind, and we're in one spot in the universe. This is the most important place in the entire universe because we're here. And why, why is it important? Because we're here? Because he put his image on us. So, great comment. Any, any others? Yes, Doug. And last one. Uniquely, we can, uh, we, because of redemption, can show his, re his attribute as redeemer. Yeah, yeah, right on. So because of, because of redemption, it's, it's, we see the, full, the fullness of his glory in both his, like the attributes of patience, wrath, anger over sin, judgment, justice, holy. but we also see the positive aspects of that too in grace and kindness and goodness and forgiveness and those, those we, we're the ones who see the fullness of his attributes. Fantastic. Okay, third question then. David says in verse 5 that God made mankind a little lower than the heavenly beings. That's referring to the angels there. What are the advantages and privileges that human beings have over angelic beings? There uh, you go. Uh, first, we have the salvation plan um, that Christ came to save us. Angels long to look into this, and um, they are set. They're set in whatever their choice is. They don't have that that offer of mercy, that uh, that grace given by that, by God. Um, the second one we had was a fleshly dependence. 
So we have a fleshly dependence um, that leads us to trust and faith in God. Uh, we depend on God for our daily bread, for our daily physical needs. Um, we are dependent upon Him, and, and this draws us closest to, closer to Him. Uh, Ryan mentioned last, last time lamenta- Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, His mercies are new every morning, and we have a constant, intimate relationship with God. So that constant need of daily mercies from God. And we're also told by Christ to address God as Father in our prayers, and this relationship seems to be closer than that that the angels have. That's that's fantastic answer. Thank you. Uh, others, other uh, answers to that question. What are the advantages and privileges that human beings have over angelic? John. Uh, one of the things I'm thinking. That's a question here. Is about emotions. Because we can have emotions. Do angels have emotions like we do? <clears throat> I think they rejoice. Yes, there is rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. And so we understand that the angels do have emotion. But, you know, so yeah, there is there is that aspect for them. But to the same degree that we experience things that angels will never experience, right? Well, they, when they rejoice over one sinner that repents, they don't know what it's like to be in a lost condition and then repent and come to redemption they don't know what reconciliation with God is because they've always been, or you know what it is to not have it and then have it. The things in which angels long to look, like he mentioned, uh, out of uh, Peter's epistle there. So yeah, you're you're right that not not to the degree or to the depth or to the breadth that we understand that, but they do have it. So yeah. Other other comments? Yes. John. Did he create humans to have a relationship with someone? He already had angels, but he doesn't have that same relationship that he can have with us. He created us because he's a God, a relational God, and his whole idea was to spend time with us and uh, be a part of, with his creation. And that was fulfilling something that angels didn't. Yeah, I, and well, I think, and I, I want to be careful in saying that God needed some kind of fulfillment because, right, right. Like he desired that. That was something he desired that angels didn't. Yeah, it it was, it it was his, it was for his good pleasure that he created all things that came out of him at all. You know, this whole entire creation, redemption, this is all, this is all coming out of God's desire to, uh, you know, just like uh, any of us who create anything, um, we have a desire just for the joy of creating it, whether it's, whether it's something you build or something you uh, design or paint or whatever it is, um, you take just great pleasure in that. And God did the same thing in creating all things and redeeming uh, a people for himself. So, but he is intertrinitarian, Father, Son, Spirit. There is a relation between the persons there. And that is manifest in our relation to him, angelic relations to him. But I want to pick up on a comment you said there that something is different definitely between angelic relations and then human relations and it has to do with the fact that we are embodied you know we are part of both worlds so i wrote down in my my comments that human beings have the unique place of being living souls and remember we said from our study that to be soulish 
refers to our immaterial nature, our spirit, which is unlike the angels, is bound to and depends upon our material nature. So Bavink put it this way, our spirit is adapted to and organized for a body. Our intellectual and spiritual life is bound to the sensory and external faculties. For angels, that's not the case. For us, every information that comes to us comes through audio, you know, auditory stimuli, uh, visual stimuli, sensory, smell, taste, all those kind of things. That's not the true case with angels. They don't experience the world like we do. Um, God chose human beings to, if we could put it this way, form the union of heaven and earth, to bridge between heaven and earth, uh, the visible and the invisible, the material and the immaterial. Bobbing says it this way, as spirit, man is akin to the angels and soars to the invisible world, but he is at the same time a citizen of the visible world and connected with all physical creatures. There's not a single element in the human body that does not also occur in nature around him. Thus man forms a unity of the material and spiritual world, a mirror of the universe, a connecting link, compendium, the epi epitome of all nature, a microcosm, and precisely on that account, also the image and likeness of God, his son and heir. End quote. So, I think, I think that that's, that's something that your comment hinted at. And, and I think that uh, Bobbing just, I, I love that quote. And I'm going to repeat it uh, in another question as well. So uh, just for the sake of time, let's, um, well, let's just, since you're up here, let's just have you go ahead and list out, list out your privileges of being human. And just, this should be like a bulleted list, right? Yep. Okay, so let me write them down. Uh, verse 3, we have the ability to praise God given to us by God. We're not robots or puppets, but we can glorify God. Okay. Animals look down at the earth and we... Is it, are, you, are you separating these? Is this a second one or... Well, this is still part of that first one. Part of the first one. <laughs> Sub point. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to write that fast. All right, so... So all the other fleshly animals kind of... Uh, and Gary said this, keep their eyes down, but man looks up. Man is the only hmm. special fleshly creature that looks up. Uh, next one, verse verses 5 and 6. Um, man is able to domesticate and herd animals, and this helps us with our mandate for providing for our families and fulfilling, fulfilling our roles uh, to others, to love others and, hmm. and do well. Okay. Uh, verse 4, uh, we have a close and intimate relationship with God. Okay. Uh, verse 6, that, so more of the dominion mandate. Uh, and as our families are the closest dominion that we, um, have, we exercise dominion over, that we have the, the honor of passing on the knowledge of God to the next generation and to our homes. Cool. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much, Joe. All right, let's give this guy a hand. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much for, uh, for, for presenting. Appreciate it. Okay, Brett Hastings, you're up next. So let me, let me read, go, go to Genesis chapter 1. This is where their, their question kind of lived in this Genesis 1 and into 2 territory. 
In Genesis 1, 24, God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him and male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I've given every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the has the breath of life. I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now into this next part, just we'll just kind of uh, get into this to verse 7. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no, no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not yet caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land, and it's, it was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Okay. Brad, come on up. And um, so here's the, the first question. Does So God created animals and human beings on the same day. You can put your stuff here if you want to. On day six. So does that mean human beings are another species of the animal kingdom? Why or why not? And explain your reasoning from the text. As if you're talking to an animal rights advocate who believes human superiority over animals is an example of human hubris. It's the sin, they say, of speciesism. So pretend you're talking to that kind of a person. What's your answer? Yeah, so you, you could go down the road of general revelation but you you mentioned arguing from uh, from the text uh, so Genesis 126 makes clear that God made man in his image something he didn't do for the rest of the created order uh, he made him special formed him it's a different word there formed him from the dust uh, and breathed the breath of life into him it's a more personal creation um, and then after that God commands Adam, he commands man to rule over the created order, to subdue it, to, uh, you know, to steward it well, to take care of it. Um, and so it's actually, uh, you know, talking to these animal rights activists, it's actually uh, human pride to say that man is not no higher than the animals because God lifted him up here. And so it's actually a matter of pride to say they're not 
higher than all the other animals. Um, and so these, you know, these people are there suppressing both general and special uh, revelation to cling to their view of reality that's from an evolutionary worldview. Cool. Thank you. Other uh, comments on this one? If you're talking to an animal rights activist and you're coming from the text, uh, how are you going to explain um, that human beings are special? Besides saying human beings are special. <laughs> what are you going to say? Yeah, James. I don't see <clears throat> building hospitals and schools <laughs> and learning arithmetic and creating music, um, articulating languages. Uh, communicating <laughs> via languages, writing books, mm -hmm. the list goes on. Yeah. Well, last week James mentioned 1 Corinthians 15. <clears throat> yeah, 15 different flesh. You know, there's, yeah. there's, there's one flesh, flesh for humans, one flesh for Yeah, that's animals. right. That's right. That's good. Yeah, there's a there's a comedian named Brian Regan who has a little little sketch uh, where he's standing in this uh, you know I don't know like a gathering, a party, or something like that. And there's, there's one of these women who's kind of pontificating on the greatness of animals and how human beings are just another animal. And he gets into this circle. He's like, oh, no, who's going to say anything to confront this idiocy, this lunacy? And so he speaks up and he says something about human beings being special. And she says, well, what about the beavers? <laughs> and she starts to, so, to point to beavers building dams. You know, getting into the river and gathering sticks and building dams. She says, look at them. And he's like, he's like, yeah, uh, look at that. And then he says, look up there at the Hoover Dam. <laughs> <laughs> what about the beavers? <laughs> <laughs> They'll come up with anything, right? So, um, but yeah, good, very good point. Yes. I think you're in seeing their desire to protect the animals. They have a desire to protect animals and to make sure they thrive and to make sure. Why do they do that? Because they have a desire to. This is this is what their mandate is: to protect the earth and to die. They can't help themselves, can they? Yeah, they just find themselves trying to advocate for animals, uh, even as they're perverted and distorted in that. But you don't find animals advocating for other animals. You find them eating other animals. Yeah. <laughs> Say, 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 like, oh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, God names the earth. God gives man the ability yeah. to, to name animals. Yeah. So there's an authority that man has given yep. over the animals. Yeah, exactly. Authority over the animals by naming them. Yeah, great. Danny. God created us with fingers so we could pull triggers. <laughs> I, cannot, I cannot wait to wind you up one day and point you at an animal rights activist. <laughs> I just, wouldn't you pay to see that? <laughs> the Marsoc Marine over there in animal rights. Camp. Yeah, Ren. I actually encountered two... Um, Adults. One is a faculty member who, you know, does not think that we are equal with cats and dogs. So, so he's talking about a, a faculty member, one of them who thinks that. What did you say? We're, we're equal with cats and dogs. So I don't know how to carry on conversation after that because unless God opens their minds, they are blind. Yeah. And also. Yeah, they're blind, but I think you can take them to God's word and just say, well, here's what God's word says. You know, that we have, uh, we're not simply another species. It's clear that God created us separate, uh, gave us certain properties in common with the animal kingdom, yes. 
but we're also uniquely different because we're created in God's image. Uh, the, the very manner in which God created us, breathing into us, you know, forming us out of the dust of the ground and then breathing into us the breath of life. So we're created with a unique and privileged role in the world uh, that the animals don't have. I think we just need to go back and, and proclaim it. I think that's our job is just to proclaim it because their spirit, their, their inner, in their inner being, they have the law of God written on their hearts. And they have a conscience that bears witness and either accuses them or excuses them. So their conscience, when they try to hold this false view that animals are people too, and, you know, cats and dogs are, you know, just on the same equal plane as human beings and we're on the same equal plane as them. um, They know in their heart of hearts by their conscience that accuses them for the falseness of that view. And so I think it's important for us just to proclaim the truth and just to tell them the truth, not to back off and say, well, I, I, I have nothing to say to you because you don't share the same worldview that I do. We have to step in and say, doesn't matter if you share, don't share the same worldview, you should, you know, because here's what God's word says. So, yeah, but uh, tell us how that conversation goes. And if you want a Danny to come along with you. <laughs> We could arrange that. So, all right. Next question. In what ways does the pattern in Genesis two, two and three, that is the seven day week. How does this demonstrate the privileges that humans, humans joy enjoy over the animal kingdom? And how do these privileges demonstrate the superiority of human beings over animals and even angels? Um, yeah, so we, we talked about how with the, the animal kingdom, there is a seasonality to life uh, and there's work, but there's no, you know, week long and then, and then a, a rest. Animals, they just work, 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 work and die, work, 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 work and, and die. And so for us as human beings, the privilege is that uh, work isn't the, the highlight of our life. Work is good. We're created to, to work and it's, it's good, but um, we're created for what the animals cannot do and that's conscious worship, the resting on the, the seventh day, that set apart, sanctified time to uh, rest and, and worship the Lord. Um, uh, so we have this set apart one day a week to rest from normal work and devote it to worship to our God. And then Hebrews 4 also points to that, to an ultimate rest, uh, you know, to redemption and when we'll spend eternity at rest with, with God. Good, good. Thank you. Anybody want to chime in on this one? What's important about that, that section right there at the beginning of chapter two, uh, what's important in distinguishing us from animals? Why is that vital? What's the special privilege we have? Did he say it for you? (laughs) The, um, Taking one day in seven is distinguishing, and you said this, but just to flesh it out a little bit more, is distinguishing the holy from the profane. Mm -hmm. And profane not meaning profanity, it just means profane meaning common, uh, meaning what's what's mundane, what's normal. Um, So we're distinguishing something and setting something apart. We have a unique privilege of doing that, and the ability to do that, you said that animals, you don't see them taking a day of rest, you know, and saying, oh, let's, I've gathered squirrels saying, I've gathered all this week and we need to set this aside, us and our little squirrel, what do you call them? Squirrel munchkins or whatever they are. What's that? I didn't hear you. 
It's a mischief of. That's, that's what a group a of squirrels is? A it's a mischief? <laughs> a flock of birds, it's a mischief, a mischief of, of squirrels. Gaggle of geese. Gaggle of geese. <laughs> so a squirrel and its mischief um, <laughs> seems to have a double meaning. I don't know. <laughs> but they don't, they, don't take a, they don't take a day and, and spend it in devotion to the creator of the acorns. They, 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 they keep on, like Brett said, they just keep on going. <laughs> and then eventually die. We partake of a higher life and we minister that one day in seven, we minister to the immaterial aspects of human beings. No, none of the other creatures have that. Any animal under our care, as according to the scripture, if we have an animal that out, out, goes out and plows our field or bears burdens for us, we're to let that animal also rest. And so it has the enjoys the privilege, even though it doesn't understand the privilege, but it enjoys the privilege of our rest too. So, um, so there's this enjoyment of spiritual rest, caring for the immaterial aspect of being human. This is from the perspective of being soulish, being earthbound, unlike the angelic creatures um, who don't share in those same privileges. So we're, we're unique from the animal kingdom. We're unique from the angelic kingdom as well. Okay. Um, David, oh no, that's the wrong one. Here's the next question. Genesis 126, God made man in his image. In uh, two, Genesis 2, 7, God formed man from the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils, and thus made him a living soul, a nephesh. So how are these basic divine uh, design features necessary to fulfilling God's purpose for the human race? So we, uh, we're looking at the immaterial and the material aspect of man and how that, that is necessary for fulfilling our purpose. So we exist to, to glorify God and, and enjoy Him, but God commanded us, or commanded Adam, to subdue the earth, to rule over it, to care for it, um, to fill it with offspring, to fill it with the image and the glory of God, and that is impossible to do without both a body and a, a spirit. And so it's impossible to, to worship the Lord without a, a spirit. You have to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Um, the, the inner man, the intelligence, it would be impossible for us to fill the earth and subdue it without an, an intelligence. Um, the, the creativity to do that even the the physical ability to procreate. Um, he also created us uh, with the ability to form relationships, uh, fellowship with one another, collaboration. You see that with the Tower of Babel. The animals aren't collaborating together. Um, and so, but also that, that rest, fulfilling uh, the purpose of worshiping God in that requires both a material and immaterial aspect to us. Okay, good. So, the, by our design features, you could just basically break it down to material and immaterial. By partaking of both, we have the ability to do our job, to do what we're created for, to fulfill our purpose in, in God's design, um, representing Him, bearing His image, but also exercising dominion over all the creatures. And we have to have God's mind and His thinking in order to be able to do that well and you know, with, uh, with wisdom and care uh, and in intellect and intelligence. So, um, okay, so other comments on this one? Yes. The thing, too, as human beings, we can enjoy nature. 
We yeah. have to look at the mountains and the sunset and the beauty that is all around us. Right. We can enjoy relationships, animals. Yeah, yeah. They're kind of oblivious to all that. They don't sit there and ponder a sunset, you know, and we do. There's also there's also an aspect to this of, you know, we, we would understand a it's not a it's not a environmentalist thing to conserve, to be conservationist, to care about the land, to care about we don't want <clears throat> we don't want some chemical plant dumping poison into our waters and you know, killing all the fish and you know, taking fishing away from us or or ruining ruining some ecosystem or whatever that's gonna mess up hunting for Danny, you know? So right? <laughs> so we we do care about those things. We we do care even even hunting itself is it's it's important to keep population control of different animal uh you know, different species of animals. So it's it's vital that we exercise that care uh over the earth and um that's part of our, our part of our mandate. Okay. Um Done with comments there. Your list. Just give us your list. And I can see it's printed, so I'm not even going to write. So Yeah, you, that's fine. Uh, so, lists of privileges of being a human from those verses. Uh, made in God's image. We're specially set apart. Even angels don't enjoy that. They're not made in His image. Uh, we've been given dominion, responsibility, vice, regency, stewardship. Stewardship is a privilege. God gives us His creation to take care of. Uh, God blessed the man and the woman. Uh, he's given us creativity, intelligence, the ability to procreate, relationships, fellowship, uh, collaboration, and rest. Those are things we had. Okay, thank you very much, Brad. Oh, Give him a hand. I can email. Uh, no, no, email. Thank you, guys. So in all the things that he just, he very quickly went down that list, um, and you'll, you'll get this in printed form uh, or in an electronic document. But... Um, you know, when I think about 12 Republicans who just voted for the right uh, or the Respect for Marriage Act, just understand, guys, being conservative or being a Republican does not protect you from the kind of lunacy that's going on in our world. It's, it's not about your political. I mean, honestly, if, I don't understand how a Christian could be a Democrat because the Democratic platform is antichrist. But being holding a Republican platform or a libertarian platform or whatever your platform is, that is not a safe protection. You have to be a biblical Christian. You have to be a Christian theist in order to be, be kept steadfast, fixed, firm, with deep conviction. That is the only safe guard against the lunacy going on in our culture. You've got you to assert... I'm a biblical Christian. You've got to be unashamed, unapologetic about speaking the word of God to this culture and calling them to account, calling them to repent. Because the, the, what, they're, what they think that they're doing by advocating for the animals or the earth or the climate or whatever that stuff is, they think they're protecting it. Actually, they're ruining it. They are denying their own dominion mandate and denying what they are and how specially privileged that they are. Okay, the next, the next one is, um, Wayne's going to present for this one, so before you come up, let me just read this. Go to Genesis, same thing in Genesis chapter 2, and it's really the rest of uh, chapter 2, but I'm going to start in verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, and the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens... 
When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land, was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust, of dust from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there's gold. The gold of that land is good. Bdellium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second is the river, uh, the second river is the Gihon, and it is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria, and the fourth river is the Euphrates. Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you, sh you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die." And then it goes into, I, I actually had them read through verse 25 about the special uh, creation also of the woman, but I'm going to stop there just for the sake of time and have Wayne come up. And um, here's the first, the first question for them is explain the nature of the privilege that God gave man in the good gift of work in Genesis 2.15. What's the connection between the garden, the wider world, and the work mandate. So uh, we really focused in on Genesis 2.15, which says, Then Yahweh God took the man and set him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. Um, God didn't give any work or rights to any other creature that was created. Um, so, for example, the deer was not given a care to take care of the rabbits or something, right? Man was given care and ownership, mastery over other creatures. And it's the height of creation to have such responsibilities. Thinking, building, planning ahead, naming. Uh, and work, it, it was, we, we got into quite a discussion actually about the role of work as a pre-fall gift to man. Um, that it, it wasn't something that came about because of the fall, which I think sometimes we fall into that pattern of thinking in error. It was intended by God as a blessing. You get to do something in relation to what God has created. And to do something in relation to God is even better than to do something for yourself. Um, it was a directive, a thoughtful direction. Our placement here wasn't random, but was given purpose, fulfilled in part by God who created us in the work that he's given us to do. Uh, and with that, we were given the ability to pursue excellence, uh, to have an avenue to glorify God through accomplishing the work. Um, for example, by applying passion or being detail-oriented. And the Garden of Eden was the perfect place of full provision with all things for su sustenance, and we were still given work to do even in that setting. Um, the the sub-question was about uh, a connection between the garden, the wider world, the work mandate. And the mandate continues in 319 even after the fall. It wasn't just a thing about the garden, that local place, or that point in time. Um, but we see the continuous establishment of order for work. Um, but the nature of the work changed. 
From the garden to the wider post-fall world, uh, the work was affected by the curse. It went from work to toil. Um, there was more effort required. Uh, and and uh, Bill said uh, something that really stuck with me. Pre-fall work is your best day of work times a thousand. Uh, post-fall work is limited by an imperfect world. And we can imagine an average day, the things that we run into, the people that we run into. Um, so there are so many impediments now in the work that we do, joy and frustrations and unable to enjoy to the fullest capacity of the world that God originally created for us to enjoy. As sin has affected our mind, our tools, uh, our colleagues, our work field, and we still get joy from light, uh, righteous living, which is what God has given man to accomplish. Uh, and, and, you know, in the garden here, even before woman was created, right, man was already in this state of, of doing work. And, and so we looked also at 1 Corinthians 10.31, Colossians 3.23, you know, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. So before and after, um, in, even post-fall, right, there's use of work. Uh, and, and even after the fall, you see weeds and things like that actually used as a tool for sanctification in the lives of um, those who would come after and the illustrations that we see that are in, involved in agrarian pursuits in the Old Testament. Yeah, good. Good, dude. Thank you so much. Uh, anybody want to add to that? Um, what kind of connection? How does, you know, Genesis 2.15 and the work mandate... Um, privilege that we have in God's good good gift of work, connection between the garden, wider world, work mandate, any any uh, other comments on that? Yeah, Bruce. In the new heaven and the new earth, we will still have work, but it won't be laborious as we know it today. Won't be toil, won't have, it won't be laden with sin. How much, you know, you mentioned, you know, going to work and, you know, your worst day, you can think about how much that involves you. I think you use the word colleagues, you know, and, 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 and what's, what's, what's the issue? What's the issue with colleagues? It's the sin in the colleague. It's not the colleague. It's the sin in the colleague that, that just undermines. I mean, your brilliant plan is undermined by everyone. If everybody just get on board with your own brilliant plan. So anybody else on, uh, on just the, the work mandate, the wider world? Think back to the science and the circus conference and what Jeff Williams, a lot of what Jeff Williams was saying and think about what comes out of Genesis chapter one and two. And you mentioned, I think, uh, I think in uh, 219, uh, God forming every beast of the field, a bird of the heaven brought him to the man to see what he would call them, whatever the man called a living creature. That was its name. What's that? What's going on there? The scientific scientific work of categorizing and putting things into categories and creating you know, you know hierarchy of genus and species and so it's understanding things according to its kind but also naming and being able to put things in categories it's it's just the it's just the ability that we have to do science there's there's this whole land that Adam's exposed to where there's all these these elements in the ground that he can mine out of the ground and then use, you know, copper, creating copper wire and con conduct electricity and the things that we enjoy now. 
uh, going back to the beaver dam illustration, do you see since the beginning of time any improvement among the beavers <laughs> with their dam building techniques? No, it still sticks in mud and there's still water leaking through all the time. They got to keep rebuilding it. Do you see techniques in building improving over time for human beings? Absolutely. And what are we doing? We're going into the ground, mining what's in the ground out of it, and then using it to our benefit. And now we're using cellular technology and 5G networks and all that stuff. Yeah. One of the things that we talked about was just that aspect of our intelligence and us being able to hand knowledge down to the next generation. Yeah, but that's really good. Totally different from the Totally different. Yeah, we, we pass down best practices, you know, take it to the military, SOPs are passed down from, you know, screwing up in one war and all the lessons you learn, and then you apply those in the next war, but then you screw up in that war and you pass it on to the next. But that, you just keep on improving your war fighting techniques and abilities and capabilities. It's the same thing in any endeavor of hum, human life. There's a better way of doing it, and we just keep on discovering that as the world changes and as we grow. Yeah, Danny. Uh, one thing that just made me think of it when you were saying that is like how sin is passed down from generation to generation yeah. just all the way through and then it just continues to get worse like that animal kingdom there's no, no, nothing else that kills their own kind more than the more than humans you know Yeah. and just shows like how we were also created differently with, with that sin nature and just how it just continues to get worse you know yeah, that, that's true. That just continues to undermine all our best efforts as the sin just keeps on undermining as we pass that down, too. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so I was in the Psalm 8 group, and we talked about this some, and we observed in Psalm 8 that the Lord's majesty on the earth was evidenced by Him working, creating yeah. the earth and everything in it. Yeah. And so we made the connection to this topic of our work that we also magnify the majesty of the Lord's name in the work that we do. We exercise creativity in, in, in our own way, like God did, you know, bearing the image. That's really good. That's, that's a great. That's, that's a great find God. That's, I'd say the primary way, in, as far as like the amount of time that we spend doing that as men yeah. on the earth, that's how we magnify the Lord's name. That's how we magnify His name and show His show who who He is and what He's like. John, Jesus said, John five seventeen, My Father is working until now, and I am working, and He rejoiced to do that. He didn't say, oh, I got to get up and glorify the Father today. You know, he's, he was like thrilled to do it, rejoicing to run his course. And that's, that's the way we all ought to be. But sometimes we grouse and complain and grumble. Um, that's, that's a wrong approach. So Genesis 2.9, here's the next one. Genesis 2.9, God created trees for different purposes, some for aesthetic goodness, some for physical provision. Why did God create the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? How do various trees reveal different levels of privilege in being human? Yeah, so um, you really see in Genesis 2.9 uh, actually kind of uh, uh, three trees, right? You see trees for appearance or provision kind of on the outside. They're not really discussed much. And then you see the tree of life and then you see the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so you have the beauty of his creation and order um, in the midst of these trees. And, and these trees kind of all around were created for beauty and purpose and intent of sustainability, um, you know, the, the shelter, the provision uh, for these human beings. And there's a probationary aspect of the Garden of Eden. Don't eat from the tree of knowledge. And so in the middle of the garden, these two trees were given 
uh, a symbology of, you know, God's decorative will and foreknowledge, symbols of accountability to following God's direction, one, the mechanism of life and salvation, and the other for uh, pursuing the self and the consequences that would come out of that. So, uh, you, you uh, again, when you when you bring in the order, no no other animal in all of creation uh, even could appreciate the difference among the trees, let alone was empowered to partake of them, mm. to make an active choice and to participate in the probationary aspect of the garden. Um, which got to uh, kind of a sub-question of how do trees show different levels of privilege in being human. And, and we see that in kind of that privilege of provision, enduring in God's favor, in even having access to the various trees, uh, including the opportunity to work amongst the trees and to work with the trees and to interact with them. Um, so we've, given, we've been given the privilege of access to these trees with external effect versus the trees that were provisions for temporal use. Um, and there's a spiritual relevance in these two specific trees, life and the knowledge of good and evil. Man was given a level of responsibility and privilege in alone having access to the central trees. Um, and, and given the command to obey in righteousness with uh, using or not using these two central trees. So man was given the choice, an offer of salvation and life and endurance from the creator uh, in the tree of life. Um, but was also given free will to obtain the knowledge of good and evil through the other tree. So even just the knowledge and the will to make such a choice is itself a defining privilege. Only for man, not for any other creature, is the choice of the trees given. Um, so so post-fall, uh, we also see that the work that man enjoyed within the garden now becomes... We're going to come to that. Yeah. Just wait on that okay. comment cool. real quick. Great comments on the trees. Um, and uh, and that what you just mentioned there about the um, the issue of free will, probationary test, all that. We're going to come back to that the next time we come together. Uh, we'll talk about Adam's probation and why that was so vital. And then that'll set us up well as we go into homardiology, which is the study of the doctrine of sin uh, and the fall and everything else. So we'll come back to that next time. But thank you. That's, that was a fantastic answer. And then I just wanted to chime in on the two trees um, with regard to trees for aesthetic beauty and also trees for physical provision. If God just made trees for physical provision, then it would be a very, what, male utilitarian world. Just give me the food. Just give me what's functional. Just give me what I need. But the aesthetic beauty lifts, lifts us up a little bit. Do we really appreciate the the women in our church who have lifted the level and made sure that there's beauty, aesthetic, things that are pleasing to the eye. Why? Because we need that. So the trees for aesthetic beauty, they teach us about creativity, the righteous use of our imagination. God gave us the ability to imagine things, but there's an evil way to use your imagination, and there's a good way, a righteous way to use your imagination, and God Gave us, the, gave us a, a head start by creating all kinds of beauty uh, in the garden and beauty on the earth. There's a joy in creating art in our exercise of dominion. So it's not just about functionality. It's not just about, you know, everything boxy and in you know, proper order. But it's also about being able to fill that out with beauty. Uh, so both things are important. 
Trees for physical provision of, and by the way, God could have made everything just taste like oatmeal, but it doesn't. Thank the Lord. He, he, he created things with, with different kinds of tastes. Some things are spicy. Some things are sweet. Some there's Mexican food and there's also French dessert. So all and everything in between. We're so thankful because that demonstrates God's, not only his provision, but good provision, you know, tasteful, tasty provision in sustaining our life with a variety and a culinary pleasure. Um, so don't forget that as you exercise your dominion in your family and your wife wants to create, lift the level and create, you know, put some flowers on the table. Don't despise her for that. Thank her for it. Thank her for the different touches of her femininity around your house and teach your children to appreciate that. Teach them to honor and respect that. Okay? Um, so I'm just looking at the time. I'd open that up, but let me, let me come back to you. We're about to go into the probation yeah, the, uh, portion. From, so from so here's, here's the question real quick. When Adam failed his probation, when he failed his test, why did God curse his work? Why did, it, why did he put the curse on the work? What is the connection between that specific curse upon work and then Genesis 2, 15 to 17? Yeah, uh, this, this is the one where we kind of had to skip okay. uh, just okay. from time. Okay. So fulfillment of the dominion mandate was meant to be carried out in close and constant fellowship with God by faith and obedience. Okay? So this constant, when, when, when Adam failed that probationary test, that threw the entire project into disorder. And that was intentional to point to this, the last Adam. So the constant suffering, difficulty, toil of work post-fall is a reminder of the failure of the first Adam, a reminder of where free will, apart from faith and obedience, gets us. And then it's a tutor to point us to the last Adam, who is Christ, where the dominion mandate is truly fulfilled in him and we in him. Okay. So privileges, just yep. go ahead and list those things out real quick. Yeah. Verse seven, um, the breath of life, right? The, the spirit, the soul, uh, from God, uh, also informed by Genesis one twenty six. you know, setting the context for verse seven, uh, creation in God's image, the resulting awareness that, that came from that is unique among creation, right? Deer are not particularly self-aware. They do not have a sense of, of self or eternity. Um, verse 8, access to God's specific provision for man. Verses 11 and 12, um, we are given the gift of stewardship and provision of resources, not just the trees in the garden, but there's the mention of water and gold and geography and land. Uh, for man to use. Uh, verse 15, we see the revelation of God to us. He didn't just wind man up, right? Breathe life into him out of the dirt and then throw him in the garden and walk away. Uh, there's an interaction there. Uh, we see the gift of work also given. Um, the plan of probation, the fall redemption that would demonstrate God's character and glory. Uh, in verse 17, right? Laying the rules, surrounding the trees um, and, and God's justice, both consequential and remunerative, just laid out in initially those trees in the garden. Um, and then we see in verses 18 and then 21 and 22, right? The gift of woman to man, the relationship with that, uh, that we would get to experience. And then, you know, 
Uh, verse 19, informed by Genesis 1 before it, the apex position, authority over even the very naming of the animals. Um, 16, 18, 19, 20, and 22, you see interactions with God. So there's this continual communion. It's not just a one-time revelation, but there is a continual experience with God and Adam back and forth throughout these activities. And then in, in verse 24, you see the gift of marriage, the unity between man and woman. Um, to, to do this work together. Cool. Fantastic job. Give him a hand. Thank you, guys. All right. Last but certainly not least, we got uh, Mark. So who's going to, is it Adam? You going to come up? All right. Good. Let me, uh, let me have you flip to the other end of your Bible. So go to uh, Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2 and verses uh, 5 to 13. I'll read this. Now it was, and, and this is after um, chapter one, you know, Jesus being the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, upholding the universe by the word of his power, making purification for sins, sitting down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And he is, you know, in the argument of chapter one, superior to the angels. So chapter two, verse five, it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, and we know where that is, right? What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we'd see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Okay, so that's the text that they were pondering in, the, in their group. And uh, here's the first question. The writer quotes... Psalm 8, 4 to 6, in that section of Hebrews 2, 6 to 8. And he points out in that last section, in verse 8, at present we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. What's the writer referring to? What was thwarted in the fulfillment of Psalm 8, verse 6? Well, as we just heard at the end of that discussion with Wayne, right, like we had the sin, <laughs> the fall, uh, entered into the situation. So first we talked about, okay, what, what's everything in subsection? Well, that's all of God's work, right? All the works of God's hands, all the animals, everything that he created, all those things. Um, what happened? Uh, obviously sin entered into the world. Adam cursed, got cursed, and now we see the effect of all those things, um, that he was referring to. And now we see, even now, uh, towards the end of that uh, chapter there is death. Mm -hmm. Death is still 
uh, one that is not subject under him. And we see animals, right? They're not subjecting uh, humans. We are not all bowing the knee and tongue confessing to Christ. And so at his second coming, we'll see that. And at his final judgment, we'll see that as well. Okay, fantastic. Any comments on that question? What's the ride referring to? What was thwarted in the fulfillment of Psalm verse 8? Okay. Good answer, good answer. Yeah, I mean, your answer was so complete. There's nothing to add to it. So the writer referring to the current condition of human beings in a fallen state, in a fallen condition. And that's what you just said. Due to Adam's sin and due to the ongoing inherited guilt of Adam's sin. This is the doctrine. The doctrine of original sin says that we are all guilty of Adam's sin. We need to understand that, that that is an essential doctrine of the Christian faith. Those who deny original sin end up denying the faith. That's the trajectory. So holding on to the doctrine of original sin is, is, is key. It's crucial. In Adam's fall, the exercise of dominion was thwarted as well. And so once sin enters into the world and once Adam failed his probation and handed that off to all his progeny, that we don't exercise the dominion that we were supposed to exercise because we've completely... We're, we're separate from our creator. We're supposed to exercise the dominion in connection, in close intimacy with our creator, and we're not in connection to our creator. So that points to a future fulfillment in the last Adam, who is Jesus Christ, and that's what the passage is referring to. Okay, the writer, next question. Writer says in 8b, now in putting all things in subjection under his feet, he left nothing outside his control. So, if you read Psalm 8, 7, and 8, you understand what he means by all things and nothing outside of his control. Um, I mean, he means all things. Uh, birds in the sky, fish in the sea, land animals, crawling things, everything. So he left nothing outside his control. So if this is the dominion mandate of Genesis 1:26, what point is the writer of Hebrews making? In light of the extent of Psalm 8, 7, and 8, what would this even look like? I mean, we can't imagine it because we've fallen into sin. But what would it look like if there were no sin and we were to exercise a dominion mandate over everything? Well, we had um, looking at uh, our federal heads, right? So uh, basically a big contrast between Adam and Christ. And in that, it would look, um, we would, as man, we would, dominion over everything, we'd rule everything, they would be subject to us completely. Uh, you would see the uh, lion and the lamb lying together, not devouring each other. Uh, you would see husbands doing what they're supposed to be doing, wives being subject to them, man loving their wives as we ought to, um, all those things as well. Uh, we would also be bearing fruit, uh, continue to fulfill, and uh, multiply and what are we seeing now we're seeing the opposite of that don't have kids don't multiply mm. don't be fruitful don't do those things those are bad it's going to kill the earth <laughs> right no we see the opposite uh, if that dominion is true we are to fulfill those things we are to multiply abundantly and what do we see in christ now what is he doing he's bringing sons and daughters from all over the mm -hmm. earth fulfilling the whole earth with his stuff. Yeah, behold, I and the children God has given me, right? Yeah, yeah he's good. bringing forth his children. Good, good. Millions upon millions. 
Oh, it's just now getting warm. You guys want to stay for another hour now? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Does so anybody want to contribute to that one? Yeah, Joe. Anything about the, the nation's the, the nation's laws would line up with God's law if if God was on his throne, if God was um, truly good, um, reigning, all the nations would be bowing to. Yeah, and we're going to see that in the millennial kingdom. We're going to see that exercise of, of bringing all nations in subjection to, to the law of God to the, that's revealed in the Old Testament. And so I think, I do think that the Mosaic law, it was, it was given to Israel as a specific law code for that nation, that people. Um, and, you know, there are moral, civil, ceremonial aspects of that law. And so not everything that, you know, you see in the law given to Israel is applicable to, you know, you know, one-to-one correspondence. But you can boil it down to principle and see how everything is applicable. And many things, especially ceremonially, that were prefigured and pointed to in the Old Testament law fulfilled in Christ. But I do think that in the Millennial Kingdom, yeah, that's, that's what we're going to see. That's why he rules Psalm 2 with a rod of iron. You know, he's going to bring all things into subjection including nations, including their laws, including their systems. Yeah, those, absolutely. Those laws that arise from his nature. Yeah, mm-hmm. from his righteousness. They're an extension of his righteousness. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, uh, Josh. So, so I think that the last part of the question where it says, uh, where it says, what would that even look like mm-hmm. is, is Isaiah 11. The wolf shed, because that, that section in the Psalm 8 is all right. about reigning, ruling over animals. And you see, so moving into kind of what the next question is and what you were saying, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the lion, the fat and calf together, the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, the lion shall eat straw like the ox, the nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. The weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountains. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So that's, you see the full dominion where kids are playing with cobras and it's not a big deal. Yeah. Full dominion because of what you said about it. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, Isaiah 11, write that down. So, and and I, you know, God's intent for human beings exercising dominion was was, we could put it this way, universal and not limited by physical environment. Notice that out of Psalm 8. So God intended mankind to exercise dominion in sea, air, and land environments. So in the Millennial Kingdom, we'll all be Navy SEALs, sea, air, and land. <laughs> that's, why, that's why they are the best. I watched Danny walk out, so I know I could say, I could say that. Yeah, David. Uh, yeah, I was thinking about, like, and the question was, what would have happened if Adam hadn't sinned, right? Well, it's really, it, yeah, and you could really point to the millennial kingdom and see, okay, so what's going to happen there? Or it just, yeah, it takes sin out of the picture. And so, yeah, so I, it would have been global dominion. <laughs> Adam, had, Adam and his progeny have fulfilled with a global dominion. So I think, and I think we would have seen, like you mentioned, technological advance um, and probably a faster rate. Bingo, yeah. Um, but then also the creation of culture. So I mean, everything that you think yes. that's cultural goods, stories, music, Entertainment um, institutions culturally yeah. would have been formed, and then uh, I think with that, then also uh, nationalism as well, in a way, because of geographic geographic difference, there would have been you know, nuances in language and in the stories of 
and the food, like you mentioned, all that would have been distinct geographically in different areas. And so I think there's a sense of, of nationalism as well, even in, in an unfallen dominion of the world. Yeah, I mean, it is interesting to think about that question because the where we see nationalism and nations forming, nation states being more of a recent development, really, historically, but if you if you look at that issue of nationalism and people breaking into that was broken up at Babel, you know, so the language issue, the, the change in I mean that what that did for culture and the development of cultures and different languages and different tribes and nations separated according to like language, like characteristic and all that. And that was developed and proliferated as as time went by. But it would be interesting to think about, even, we had that capacity and capability, so take sin out of that, what would that have developed into? So real quick, in pursuit of exercising, and I don't want to just comment on that, exercising uh, dominion in sea, air, land environments, that would mean, like you were saying, more exploration, more discovery, uh, technology, the development of technology would be required. How are we going to exercise dominion over the fish of the sea and everything that flows along the path of the sea? I, I mean, that's a, if you've been diving, you realize, man, there is an entire world under there that is just, we don't think about at all. You go down underwater and just see, man, this map, I mean, what is it, two-thirds of our world is covered with water? It's incredible in the depths and, and, and the different layers of, of, of animal or of a fish life um, through the depths of the seas. What would it require, technological development would require to get down there? I think it's James Cameron is a movie producer, but he's really gotten into like ocean exploration. And I think it, it, it builds, um, you know, discovery for him that then leads into his science fiction kind of creatures and stuff that he creates. It's, it's amazing to think, like you said, development of culture and the imagination that comes out of that and the stories that we tell. And it's, it, it's it's mind-boggling. I mean, you just have to stop at some point and say, "I got work to do," because <laughs> your mind can keep on going with this and say, "Bam, over to the scope." Thank you. Very good comment. Yeah, uh, uh, one more. I have a question about uh, you were comparing if Adam if Adam hadn't sinned and been confirmed and had his, set up his dominion. And you're comparing that to the millennial kingdom. Um, not really. Oh. No, I'm not really comparing it. No, oh. I'm just I'm just saying that that's. But but same. But go ahead. Okay. Well, if you're not comparing it, then my question is, I have much bearing because I was just going to ask about because there will still be sin in the millennial kingdom, right? right? So right. I was just going to ask if it would be better to compare it to the new to heavens. the eternal state, the new heavens and the new earth, definitely. Okay. Yep. Mm -hmm. so, sorry, I yeah. Question, yeah. I, yeah. No. I, I just think there's going to be like like uh, Josh is reading from uh, Isaiah 11 in the millennial kingdom. We're going to see what what Christ's dominion looks like in in this environment. So even, even with the presence of sin, which has to be subdued and ruled over, ruled over the rod of iron, but even in that environment, there's going to be massive, like he said, peace on earth. Knowledge of the, of the Lord covering the earth like the water covers the sea. So we're, we're definitely going to see major changes, even in a sin-cursed world. And then as there's a, there's a total destruction of this, Second Peter 3, and then a new heavens and a new earth, in which righteousness dwells, there's no sin whatsoever. I think that's where we see, like what Dave is describing, what is that going to look like? I have no idea what it's going to look like, but I, I love to imagine it. So, good. Uh, all right, so last question. 
How did God intend Adam and Eve to fulfill the dominion mandate? How does Christ intend to fulfill the dominion mandate in the millennial kingdom and perhaps in the eternal state? We obviously just kind of talked about that. Yeah. Of, of the last. Sort of did. So. <laughs> but keep going. Um, it, it was basically by multiplying, ruling, reigning in his kingdom. Um, it would be in a perfect state of, um, you know, under God's law, moral law, uh, all those things. It will be under his, his authority, his reign. Everybody would follow. <laughs> there would be no rebellion. It would be all, all follow suit. So, it, right, it right. would not have that. So we're going to see, and, and here's where you can see a difference between the millennial kingdom and the eternal state. In the millennial kingdom, you're going to have them. You're going to have uh, childbirth, and you're going to have uh, multiplication of human beings in that way. In the eternal state, we're like the angels of heaven, neither marrying nor given in marriage. So there is no more marriage in the eternal state. There is no proliferation of human life through procreation. You will have it in the millennial kingdom, so that's that's a that's a big difference. But anyway, we could go on with this. Um, give us your list of privileges. So um, a big one was uh, we have a new federal head in Christ that we now have a perfect Savior, King, and Priest uh, that will uh, perform perfectly for us. Um, we also have. Uh, the privilege that God is mindful of us and he cares for us and that he is near to us. That is a great privilege. No other thing has that. Um, we have uh, nothing is out of God's control, uh, the privilege of that. Uh, we are under his control, uh, not under our control, thankfully. Uh, uh, death, uh, we are no longer subject to death uh, under that. That's a privilege. Uh, he paid for that. Uh, so that we can have eternal life, the privilege of eternal life, to live forever with him in the glory and presence of God. Um, we get to be um, the privilege of being sanctified daily through Christ, uh, as it says there in Hebrews. Um, we're united with the Father in Christ, the privilege of being that. And with that privilege of getting all the glory and honor that Christ gets, because we are now in Christ, uh, receiving all those blessings and honors. We get the privilege to worship the king of glory uh, in that. Um, we get to, um, Christ gets to proclaim God to us. <laughs> and he considers that an honor and a joy uh, uh, to um, proclaim his name to us, which is really cool. Um, and we, we get to, we are the gift uh, to the Father in Christ. Right? He's going to present the bride to the Father. So we are that that gift how what a great privilege that is uh to to see that hmm. and then we cannot be separated from him no, a great privilege. Like we, well, there's nothing that's going to separate us that's fantastic man and and think about this throughout all of history when have you ever heard of a king to win his people dying for his people he died for us first thing and has obtained for himself a people given to him by the father that is that is such a such a beautiful and worthy of all of our meditation, reflection, and praise. I can't wait to be in that great congregation hearing him sing God's praise, hearing the Lord Jesus Christ sing among us as he, like you said, tells of his name to us. That's such a beautiful picture. Um, any other things you guys want to add to this? 
Thank you, Adam. Give him a hand. That's awesome. All right. Guys, thank you so much. That was a very fruitful discussion, and I appreciate you guys taking that uh, you know, seriously and also just doing the good hard work. And I ne- what I need you to do is to make sure every group sends me electronically don't take a picture of your scribbled out notes, Joe or Adam, and send it to me. I'm not going to decipher that and put it into electronic form. Somebody from your group has to write this up, send it to me, and just send me the electronic notes because I'm going to send this out in one document, my notes, but also all of yours. It was really good stuff. I want to get this out to the entire group, and as soon as you can do it, Brett will, Brett will send it out by email, okay? Thank you very much for the discussion. And next time, as I said, we'll get into the Adam's probation, and that'll set us up for the homardiology discussion. Brett or Josh, anything that we need to announce? Okay. Gary could use some help in the kitchen. I know that. But let me close this in prayer. Our Father, we thank you so much for what you, uh, how you have designed us, what, what you've created us to be, what our original design is, and what... I know it's been lost in the fall, but even that was by your decree, by your design, that we would be the proclaimers of your full-orbed glory. All your glory that is revealed to us in the, uh, the project of redemption that was accomplished in Jesus Christ, who is the last Adam, who is the one who f- fulfilled all things, who is the one who did all of your perfect will, who never sinned in thought, word, and deed, but actually fulfilled the law in all, in, in, in word and deed, in thought, word, and deed, and, and actually his righteousness is what we stand in. It's his righteousness, not ours. It's, it's his perfection, not ours. It's his merit, not ours. And we proclaim Christ and see him as the fulfillment of all scripture, everything from beginning to end. We, are, we rejoice to be numbered among his people, chosen as a part of his elect uh, that you, the Father, have given to the Son. We, we pray that you would help us to walk in, our, um, the, in the privilege of being human, that we would teach others and proclaim your goodness to the, the people around us, to the nations uh, around the world as well. Thank you again for the discussion and for these men, and I pray that you would bless them and help them to bring this this teaching to their families. In Jesus' name, amen.